Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and we're listening to Jane the Ripper by Danielle Nabert. This psychological suspense is a throwback to the early 90s and a tribute to women breaking through the glass ceiling. This novel pits two women against each other as Detective Maggie Shepard hunts for a serial killer who's taking out men. One reviewer says, It's easy to like the murderer. She has a reason for her rage and her targeting of victims. Let's begin the story so you can decide for yourself which woman you're rooting for. So get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Chapter 4 Jane's afternoon was busy. A new shipment of books had come in this morning, and she was trying to get them into the computer between all her other duties. She liked to have the new books out as soon as possible for the writing group that came in later in the afternoon. They always complimented her on her readiness for them. Jane swept her long auburn hair out of her eyes. It had loosened from the ponytail she had hastily done this morning. Miss Lawrence, a small voice interrupted her typing. Jane bent over the counter and smiled as she saw a small girl clutching an armful of books to her chest. Hello, Jenny. Can I help you? Yes, ma'am. My mother was wondering if you got her books in yet. I think so. They're probably in the back room. How is your mother, dear? Jenny's mother was diabetic and pregnant for the fourth time. She was laid up at home on bed rest with only her 12-year-old daughter to help her and care for the other two children. Jenny's father had left them after finding out his wife was pregnant again. She's doing better. Thank you. That's good to hear. Why don't you go look at the new books that came in this week? I'll get your mother's book. Thank you, Miss Lawrence. Jenny walked slowly towards the children's room. Jane watched her go in. She is such a sweet young thing, never any trouble, and such a reader. Jane wished more young kids could be like Jenny. She sighed in her wishful thinking and went to the back room to find the books for Jenny to take home. After a couple of minutes, Jane found the books she was looking for and went back to her desk. She spotted Jane by the front cases, trying to juggle all the books she had chosen, and she was about to go over to help but stopped when she saw Jenny had all the books under control. Jane didn't want to disturb her and turned back to the counter. Jane bumped into Mr. Brooks when she turned, knocking his books to the floor. She smiled shyly at him and bent over to pick up the books. He pushed her hands away. Her face flushed when he looked at her with disdain. Can't you watch where you're going? Mr. Brooks scowled at her. Miss Lawrence, a small voice peeped from behind the stern man. Jane cocked her head to the side. Hello, Kathy. I have to get a new book for a book report, Kathy smiled, showing off her newly missing tooth. Are you looking for anything specific? Jane asked, ignoring the impatient look on Brooks's face. No, I just need something fun to read. Well, that is the best kind of reading, Kathy. Books. Fun. What a bother, Mr. Brooks stated loudly. Oh no, Mr. Brooks. Books are an adventure. Jane turned her attention to him and frowned. For people who have nothing better to do with their time. Well, I believe there is always time to enjoy a good book. Jane smiled down at Kathy. A person just makes time, that's all. Miss Lawrence, 
If I wanted your opinion on something, I'd ask. Mr. Brooks frowned. Now, if you don't mind, Kathy, move it. I don't have all day. Yes, Daddy. Bye, Miss Lawrence. Kathy smiled up at her favorite librarian. Mr. Brooks grunted a goodbye to Jane and pushed his daughter in the back to hurry her. Jane went back to the counter, sat on the little stool, and watched them. She felt sorry for little Kathy. Her father was so gruff with her in public. She figured at home he was meaner. That horrible man probably beat the child. Yes, she knew that type of man. They showed one face to the world, and behind closed doors, they are monsters. A tear escaped from her eyes as she remembered another father exactly like that. Nebraska, 1979. Jane held her father's rough hand, watching her mother be lowered into the ground. With one small hand, she wiped at her tears. She looked up at her father. His face held no emotion. He didn't even have a tear. Jane looked around at the other people standing around. They were mostly neighboring farmers and wives. Mama didn't have any family left. Just her and Pa. Pa's father was here, though, standing off to one side by himself. He, too, didn't have any tears. In fact, to Jane, it looked like no one was crying except her. Her father pulled at her. She hadn't noticed the funeral was over. Get a move on, girl. I got things to do, he growled at her. Jane struggled to keep up with her father's long strides. She turned around one more time and whispered a silent goodbye to her mother. No more soft songs at night. No more cuddles by the fire. She had a job to do now. Her father made sure she understood that last night. She was now responsible for the household chores. Jane sighed heavily, feeling the weight of responsibilities already weighing down on her little shoulders. Two years later. You dumb little bitch. David Lawrence stood over his daughter with a belt in his hand. No, Papa, no more, please. I'm sorry. Jane lay on the floor, her nose dripping blood. I told you six, not 6.30. It was ready, Pa. I had it in the oven to stay warm for you. Then what were you doing in here? My homework. Jane stared at the ground. Her father hated hearing anything to do with schooling. Homework, he roared. A waste of time. Yes, Papa, I'm, I'm sorry. Jane lifted one skinny bruised arm to defend herself from another blow she knew was about to come. David Lawrence looked down at his daughter, sniveling at his feet. He noticed for the first time she was not just a little girl anymore, but developing into a young woman. He licked his lips. Get up, girl. What, Papa? Get up and go to your room, he said in a calm voice. Jane slowly and painfully got up from the floor. She was surprised at this change of events. In the past two years since Ma's death, she had grown accustomed to the daily beatings. But her father had never told her to go to the bedroom before. He liked to keep his eye on her till bedtime. Her father followed her into the bedroom. He closed the door behind him. Jane stood to the side, staring at the floor, scared what new punishment he had come up with. Strip, girl. Jane looked at her father. I said strip. I want to see what the boys look at. Boys don't look at me. Strip, 
he screamed at her. This is going to be a fade to black scene where Jane is sexually abused by her father. At the end of this scene, Jane needs to go with her father to the kitchen. Jane slowly got up, embarrassed and frightened, and walked into the kitchen. Oh, and Jane, Jane turned toward her father. Yes, Papa, you are never to say anything about this. If you do, I'll kill you. Do you understand? Yes, Papa. Back to the present. Jane sat silently on the stool, tears falling from her eyes. She felt sick to her stomach. It had been so long since old memories broke through. She turned off the computer. She would clock out early and finish up in the morning. She needed to go home. Now. Chapter 5 Maggie disliked going to the coroner's office. The smell of rose perfume, which Susan wore, mingled with the musky smell of death and seemed to linger in the air. Even in the hallways, one could smell death. Sometimes Maggie thought Susan stuck the office at the end of the hallway for her own personal joke. Susan was a sweet lady, but she had one sick sense of humor. Maggie remembered last Halloween when Susan dressed up like a corpse and walked around town scaring children and old ladies. Maggie opened the door marked C-O-R-N-E-R. -E Another sick joke of Susan's. She quietly shut the door behind her. Letting the door slam seemed almost sacrilegious. Maggie's fingers slipped around the wall looking for the light switch. Why Susan always kept the room dark is unknown. Finding the switch, Maggie flicked it on. The bright overhead lights gleamed off the silver slabs of cold metal tables and instruments. Maggie shivered with more than just the cold air. Sue? Maggie called out. Her voice echoed off the lime green walls. Back here, a distant voice called. Maggie walked through the maze of tables. She tiptoed past one covered corpse. Slowly, the sheet started rising. A white spectrum sat up. Maggie jumped back, screamed and grabbed for her gun. Wait, wait, the corpse laughed. A pale hand came out from under the sheet and pulled it away. Sorry, Maggie, I didn't know it was you. Susan's eyes twinkled with her joke. The deep creases in her face revealed a face that smiled a lot. For someone with such a gruesome job, Susan was the most cheerful person Maggie knew. She always had a ready smile, a hot cup of coffee, and a ready ear to listen. Many times, Maggie had come down here to groan about her day. You know, Sue, one of these days, your little pranks are going to get you in trouble. Maggie smiled at her, knowing she couldn't stay mad at her best friend. Well, when that happens, you come bail me out of jail. Susan wadded up the sheet and threw it into the corner. Come on, I know what you're after. It's in the back. Quite an interesting case. How's that? Did you take a look at the body? Woman stopped at a covered body. Of course, Maggie said, but I didn't see anything really interesting, except, of course, the penis being cut off. Well, yeah, that too, but Buddy didn't like that part at all. Buddy was Susan's assistant. He was usually the butt of all her practical jokes. No, what I'm talking about, well, let me show you. 
Susan put on a pair of gloves and picked up a corner of the sheet to reveal the left hand. Look. What am I looking for? Nothing. Maggie looked at Susan with a puzzled look. I don't understand. No defense wounds. Maggie pulled on a pair of rubber gloves. She picked up the hand and looked at all sides. Sure enough, there were no defense marks on it. She laid the hand down. Well, maybe the guy was dead before all the mutilations happened. No, I'm afraid not, Susan said, tucking the hand back under the sheet. No, this poor fella felt it all. Every cut. Every single thing. I don't believe it. What do you think? BDSM that got out of hand? Maggie's thought went directly to a case that had happened in Milwaukee a few years ago. That's what I wondered, too, Susan said. Then why didn't this guy fight back? I mean, my God, his penis was cut in half, Maggie said with astonishment. I'm not sure yet, Susan replied. I know this man was alive during all the cuttings, except possibly the one that's the nipple. What do you mean? Maggie opened her notebook, her pen poised. If you look at the markings on the body, you'll see that they are clean cuts. No jerky movements at all. One clean swipe. The nipple was not a clean cut. It's almost like it was sawed off. Susan moved the sheet off the body's face. This here, she pointed at the slash across the mouth, was the actual reason for the death. How? He drowned in his own blood. When I did the workup, I found blood in his mouth, throat, and stomach. His lungs were filled with it, too. The man suffered an agonizing death. Anything else? Any fibers? Skin under the nails? Anything? Nothing. This was a clean-up job. This man was washed up. He had no blood on him except his face. Maggie grabbed the sheet from Susan's hand and tossed it over the face of the man. You know another thing? Susan pulled off her gloves and threw them into the nearby bin. What? Maggie asked. Whoever did this, I think, knew him. Why do you think that? Think about it, Susan said. The clothes are folded. The wallet was left on top. No money is taken. In fact, the driver's license was in the front window so it could be easily found. This person wanted this guy to be found, which is why I think he was so close to the road. They went into Susan's little office. Susan poured them both coffee. This was a calculated job. The killer knew exactly what he was doing. There was no evidence whatsoever. No fingerprints. No hair. No fibers. Nothing. Hell, even the leaves and dirt around the body were undisturbed. It was almost as if some angry ghost got hold of the guy and butchered him. I don't get it, Maggie. This isn't some ordinary killing. This one frightens me. Maggie patted Susan's arm. For her friend to admit something scared her? Scared Maggie. I don't like this, Maggie. I have a really bad feeling about this. Susan's eyes opened wide. So do I, Sue. There's more to this than what we know. Exactly. I have a feeling that this place is going to have more like him. So do I, Sue. So do I. Chapter 6 Jane walked into the cafe. All around her people were whispering to each other and watching the door. Jane felt uncomfortable. Did they know the truth about her? She quickly slid into her booth and stared down at the table. Morning, Jane. 
The owner and morning waitress of the cafe stopped by her booth. Morning, Linda. The usual? Yes, please. With coffee today. Fine. I'll be right back. Linda wiped her hands on her apron and went to the back counter where the coffee machine was. Bain watched Linda leave. Then she scanned the room. Everyone seemed to be in a bustle about something. She could hear the people in the next booth talking, and she leaned her head back against her seat to hear better. I heard it was really bloody, a female said. Where did you hear that? Her male companion asked. A friend of a friend works at the police department. Oh, what else did you hear? But they have no clue to the killer. Here you go, Jane, Linda said, and put the coffee down in front of Jane. Jane thanked Linda and took a sip. She forgot the milk and grimaced at the taste. She leaned back to hear more of the conversation, but the couple had left. Frustrated, Jane signaled to Linda. Yes, Jane? I was just wondering if you have the newspaper, Jane asked. Why, sure, I suppose you are wondering what all the hubbub is about, huh? Well, yes. Linda sat across from Jane. Linda was one of the main reasons that Jane came to the cafe every morning besides the good food. Linda started out as a waitress at the cafe when she was a teen, but she ended up being the owner when the original owner passed away and left the cafe to Linda. Linda always had a smile for her patrons, even if she was packed full. Unlike other owners, she would even sit down and gossip with the customers. There was a murder on the outskirts of town a couple nights ago. Linda said. Jane's mouth dropped open. I didn't see anything on the news about that. It wasn't on the news, Linda said and shook her head, but the paper had something about it. The cops at first thought a cougar got hold of the guy, but then they discovered it was actually a murder. Tons of blood, I guess. That's terrible. Isn't it, Linda said. Anyway, I guess they have no clues on the killing at all. Where did it happen? Jane asked, already knowing the answer. Woodsbury, listen, I gotta go. Looks like my order is up. I'll bring the paper to you in a sec. Thanks. Fools, Jane thought to herself. They are really just a bunch of fools. A cougar and a bloody mess? I left no bloody mess. Jane poured her milk into the coffee, measuring it precisely. She smiled as she took a sip and chuckled quietly at the fools. Maggie hung up the phone for the fifth time in the past ten minutes. Ever since the paper hit the street, several people called about lost loved ones, some of which had been lost for twenty years or more. She took a sip of her coffee, spat it back out. It was cold and bitter. She went to the break room to get a fresh cup. Hey, Shepard, you got another call? Take it for me, Maggie replied. I'm taking a break. Maggie shut the door behind her as she entered the break room, poured herself a fresh cup of coffee, and grabbed a donut from the counter. She sat heavily on a chair and stared blankly at the posters on the wall. This case was going nowhere fast. She personally wanted to send the body down to Milwaukee, but the parents of the deceased caused a big stink in Edward's office, complaining about all their shoddy police work in small-town cops. The door opened slightly, and Parker peeked his head in. Ma'am? Yes, Parker, what is it? I think you should take this call, Parker nervously told her. Why? Maggie asked. The woman said she thinks her brother was killed. 
He is missing. Everyone thinks that. What's so special about this one? Because it's Laura McDonald? Who? Laura McDonald, the preacher's wife. She's very upset, and I can't calm her down. Fine, fine, I'll be right there. Maggie took a bite of the donut. Oh, blueberry filling. She couldn't stand blueberries, so she tossed it in the trash with venom and left the break room. Maggie grabbed the phone from her desk. Shepard speaking. Can I help you? Detective Shepard, this is Laura McDonald. I'm calling about my brother. I think he's probably been killed like that other poor soul. The woman was crying softly on the other end. Why do you think that, Miss McDonald? Maggie tried to keep the impatient tone from spilling out. My brother would never, ever disappear. He has a little boy he is raising. Well, with help from me. He lives with me, you see. Paul and his son do. He left to go on a date the other night and never came back. It is so unlike him. Please, can you help me? I'll send someone over to get all the information from you, okay? Okay, thank you. Bless you. Laura McDonald started crying harder on the phone. Calm down, and someone will be there shortly. Maggie hung up the phone and called Parker over. She told him to go over to the McDonald's and speak with them. Maggie circled the name she had written down. Paul. She had a bad feeling about this. Hey, Shepard. Jones yelled from across the room. What? Gotta go. Got another one. You're shitting me. Maggie stood up. Nope. Jones threw the keys at her. Here, you're driving. Maggie and Jones pulled up by the other squad cars. Everyone was just standing around. Maggie got out of the car and looked around for Susan's van. Spotting it at the end of the long driveway, she walked over to it, leaving Jones to take care of the officer standing around doing nothing but talking. Susan was leaning against the van site, eating a sandwich. Maggie looked around, around for Buddy. He was the one who was the best photographer for this type of work. She asked Susan where he was. Susan finished chewing what was in her mouth, swallowed and pointed to her left. Maggie turned her head. Poor Buddy was leaning over a bush, throwing up. I guess I kind of grossed him out, Susan smirked. So what else is new? Maggie shrugged. Not much. Heard the parents came down on Edwards. Yeah, Maggie replied, like you said they would. Come on, Buddy. Finish your breakfast later. We got work to do. Buddy just glared at her, swiped his mouth across his jacket sleeve and grabbed his camera. Maggie smiled at him with sympathy. It wouldn't be easy working with Susan Jones. All three went into the wooded area behind Bob's bait shop where the area was yellow-taped. I already sealed off some of the area, but I didn't want to finish it until you got here, Susan told Maggie. Thanks. What's it like? The same, Susan said with a frown. Any idea with this one? Maggie asked. Well, the moniker is Paul Stone. Maggie let out a sigh. What? Susan asked her. You wouldn't believe this, but his sister just called. She thought he was killed, and I blew her off. I've been getting phone calls all morning and thought nothing about this one. Shit. Don't beat yourself up, kiddo. You've got a long day ahead of you. Susan hugged her briefly. I know, but crap. I wish I didn't talk so gruff to her on the phone. They walked over to the covered body. Maggie thought to herself how many other callers might have been right about missing people, too. 
Chapter 7 No. Edward's face turned bright red as he exploded at Maggie's request. Come on. This isn't just some random killings. This is serious. I believe we have a serial killer, and I have no clues to work with. Maggie felt frustrated. No, he said. We can take care of our own dirty work. I will not bring in someone from the outside. Edward slammed his palm down on his messy desk, scattering papers to the floor. It's not just anyone. He's an FBI profiler. Maggie started pacing the office floor. I don't care what he is. He's FBI. What will they think? That I can't take care of one murderer? No. A timid knock interrupted the argument. What? Edwards bellowed. Parker opened the door. He looked at their angry faces and then stepped backwards while still holding the door. Uh, excuse me, Detective Shepard? Yes, Parker, what is it? There's been another body. Maggie spun around towards the cowering man. Where? On the outskirts of town? By old man Tug's place. Same M.O.? Yes, ma'am. Maggie turned back to Edwards, her eyes pleading. Please, let me call. She needed this man to come in. Things were getting too far out of hand. Well, Edwards stalled. I admit that this case is more than I bargained for. Now you'll have to admit that this case is actually more than any of us bargained for. This man has got to be stopped before he kills even more. Edwards sat down heavily in his chair. He looked at the officer still standing at the door waiting for orders. Then back to Maggie. He waved his hand in defeat. Go ahead and call, he said. Thank you, sir. But, Shepard, he's your responsibility. Yes, thanks. You better go now. Edwards looked out his window, a scowl over his heavy face. Shepard? Yes? I was wrong about you. You are a good cop. A little pushy, but I suppose that's to your advantage. Maggie smiled at the development. She thought she'd never hear a word of compliment from Edwards. Maybe now the others will see her as a police peer instead of just another female on the force. Edward smiled briefly at her. Just write me a full report later. Oh, and I don't want to see that FBI guy around me. Keep him from under my feet. Maggie left the office, feeling smug about the outcome of this battle. There may be more down the road, but at least she was finally being heard. Maggie pulled up behind Susan's van. Around the farmhouse, there were police cars and men walking around in a daze. She didn't spot Susan or Buddy anywhere. Maggie signaled to one of the men. Is the coroner with the body already? She asked the man. Over there. He pointed over to the barn. Maggie looked at the old barn. It looked as if she touched it, it would all tumble down. She noticed there was no yellow tape surrounding the area. In fact, she noticed there was no tape anywhere. She watched the other officers. They were either talking to each other, smoking, or staring towards the barn. Why isn't this place taped off? She asked the man next to her as he lit his cigarette. Excuse me? The area. 
Why hasn't someone taped it off? Maggie's temper was starting to rise at his rudeness. No one told us to, he said. For God's sakes, you fool. The other officers turned at Maggie's yelling. It's your job. You should know what to do at a murder scene. I want this place taped off now. And for the rest of you, either find something useful to do or get out. We are going to have enough problems with gawkers, and I don't need you gawking too. A few of the men started to go about their duties. Some got in their squad cars and left. The man standing next to Maggie stared at her. He blew smoke in her direction. Maggie coughed and stared back at him, waiting for an apology. Listen here, Missy. I don't know who the hell you are, but you don't start giving orders to me or... Maggie interrupted him. She flashed her shield at his face. Detective Shepard, I'm in charge of this case. If you have a problem with that, go complain to Captain Edwards. I'm sure he'll take care of you. The man stared at her expression, and then at her identification. He shrugged, turned away, and yelled at others to get on the ball. He turned back to Maggie and tipped his hat, flinging his cigarette to the ground before her. Maggie stood there, not believing his arrogance. She heard her name called by Susan standing by the barn. Maggie waved and strided over. Maggie followed Susan to the body. Buddy was already there, snapping pictures from every angle. He smiled when he saw Maggie. Ready, buddy? Susan said. She might be a practical joker, but when it came down to her business, she was a professional. Oh, I've been ready, Buddy snorted. He grabbed the notebook from his pack and stood by Susan as she kneeled on the ground by the body. Maggie stood on the other side of the body. Her notebook was also out, and she was ready to take notes. Deep laceration on left nipple. Looks like a possible cut was made from right to left. I'll know more in the office. Puncture marks on the lower left chest, about three-fourths of an inch down from the nipple. In random order, not as clean cut as the others. Okay, as before, duct tape surrounding penis. It's a clean cut, not sawed-off angle. I'd say it looks like a scalpel. What do you think, buddy? Buddy kneeled down by Susan and moved the edge of the penis with a pencil tip and examined it. He nodded his head yes. Susan smiled at his ashen face. She laid her hand on his shoulder. Buddy stumbled as he stood back up. Susan, Maggie interrupted, her pen poised above the clean sheet of paper. It's all the same. I'll know more when I do the full exam, but it looks like the victim was brutalized the same way as the others. Everything's the same then? Almost but I notice one difference. It's probably the same with the others, but I didn't see it before. I only found it by chance. Buddy gave a little cough. Maybe I should say Buddy found it. Here, look. Maggie kneeled down by Susan. Susan moved the head to the right. She pointed to a small bruise just behind the ear. It was small and almost unnoticeable. In the middle of a bruise was a black dot, like a drop of blood. What is that? Maggie asked. We believe it's a puncture mark. From? 
I'd say a hypodermic needle. Remember that I said I had a feeling the victim was conscious during the mutilations? Yes, Maggie replied. Well, this is why I think so. The killer used some kind of drug to paralyze his victims first. I don't know what yet. I'll send some blood samples out to Madison, and hopefully, in a day or two, I'll have a definite answer for you. You mean this guy was immobilized the whole time? What about yelling or something? He was so close to Tug's place. Maggie looked over to the farmhouse, only a few meters away. The drug likely paralyzed the vocal cords also, or he was prevented by duct tape over his mouth. There are some abrasions on his lips and across the cheeks. Maggie looked at the victim's face. You could see the expression of fright on the man's face. Someone scared him, all right. Someone scared him to death. I hope you enjoyed chapters four through seven of Jane the Ripper. Jane staying busy with her kills. How many more will she commit before Detective Shepard can stop her? You can find Danielle Nabert's other novels on Amazon. She has a vast collection to choose from. Many are free to read with Kindle Unlimited. To keep up with the various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Cherish Lively. Or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash Cherish Lively. Do you want to be a part of my secret obsession? I'm looking for secrets and tattletales to read aloud on the podcast. Do you know any small town secrets? Have you had a brush with danger that rocked your world? Are supernatural activities or hauntings keeping you up at night? Write your story and send it to my secret obsession podcast at gmail.com.